The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Another June day in California. Another bunch of clouds that just won't go away. Uh, if you've watched this entire series, you've just seen a series of cloudy days here in LA. It's the only time in my life as a lifelong California resident that I think I've seen more clouds in the first entire half of a year than sunny days. I'm not even kidding. That's a real stat. Look it up. You know where uh, it's sunny? Today? In Seattle. Yep. Yeah, I know. It's just saying. pissing me off, EJ. Every <laughs> time you come down here, it's cloudy. Anyway, uh, speaking of Seattle... It's NFC West Predictions Day. I'm sure a lot of you have preconceived notions about who we're going to pick to win the division and who we think division MVP is and coach of the year and offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, rookie of the year. Believe me, your assumptions are wrong. But we have a lot to go over today. So, Jay, without further ado, roll the intro. Welcome once again to the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. Uh, again, we're talking NFC West today. Going to do a slight little recap of what happened last year to the division as a whole before we get into predictions. Uh, but before all of that, EJ, how you feeling? I'm good. I expected a little bit of sun. We said mid-70s on the weather report all week, and it is that in Seattle. Just to rub that in a little bit, but... Nice and cool. No greenhouse effect here in the corner, so we can be climate controlled, but I'm good. This is a fun division. Uh, interesting in terms of the power structure. We have, uh, this feels like the division of haves and haves nots. We have two haves and two sort of have nots at this point. And so we'll make predictions about where we think they'll all end up, but it makes for an interesting recap because I think it's unlike a lot of other divisions where we say, oh, this is, a, this is a street fight every week and, you know, we're not sure who's going to win. We're, we're a little bit more sure in this division. Well, more so we're sure who's not going to win. <laughs> That's probably Arizona. Uh, the Rams are a maybe. To me, the Rams are a wild card just because they're kind of relying on a lot of young players. But we're, we're pretty sure that Seattle's good and San Francisco's good. Um at least based on everything that we talked about over the last two days. If you want to go watch the entire Seahawks magnum opus, that might have been the longest episode we do in this entire series. And the San Francisco episode was actually pretty long in its own right. So if you want detailed information on all of them, obviously you can go to those individual episodes. Uh, more just doing a holistic division look today. I was a little bit surprised, not going to lie, because looking at 
the power scores and we kind of do aggregate power scores division by division this is our third overall division look i thought nfc west would be at the top just because of how good the niners were and also how surprisingly good the seahawks were uh well surprising for some people um but they were not. Uh, the AFC North as a whole, mm-hmm. if we're just looking at aggregate power scores, was a better division on average than the NFC West. And I would say significantly so. And we have better power scores yet to come. But going back to 2022, those results you mentioned, San Francisco led the division 13-4, and four, came in first. Hawks, 9-8, and eight, came in second. Rams 5-12, and 12, which was way below a lot of the expectations for that team last year in third place, and Arizona brought up the rear at 4-13. and 13. San Francisco won the division. Playoff participants, both San Francisco and Seattle, snuck in there at the end. Any late-season surge teams, we talked about this in the San Francisco episode, 5-0 and 0 at the end. They were steamrolling towards what we felt like was a title shot. They got derailed by injuries. But when we look at those power scores, again, bootleg power score is new this year to this series. Um, And the division ones are a little bit different. We just take all the bootleg power scores and add them together for a cumulative power score. And we're still looking for the lowest score. It's golf rules. You want to be number one, not number 32. So the 49ers, six. Best power score we've come across, and rightfully so. A balanced team, very good. And like we said, at the end of the year, looked untouchable until injuries brought them down. Seahawks, 18 was their power score. Middle of the road, but a lot better than a lot of people thought at the beginning of the year. Rams, 21st, lower than a lot of people thought, including us at the beginning of the year. We thought that they would come out mid-pack or better. They didn't manage that for a multitude of reasons. A lot of that had to do with injuries along the offensive line. But honestly, if there was a problem to be had in a football season, the Rams pretty much ran into it last year. And the Cardinals' power score, only one tick behind at 22. So overall, when you add those scores together, which is how we get our division power scores, it's 67. Now, like you said, AFC North was in the 50s. NFC North was in the 70s. So this is right in the middle of the three divisions that we've gone through. Um, It is not the most powerful division that we're going to run across. And I think that's actually going to surprise a lot of people when we get there. I don't think I even know. Who ended up with the best score? Keep in mind, best score is lowest, right? That's correct. Um, I'm going to make a wild guess. NFC East? Correct. Just because all four of them were in the playoff hunt by week 18, I have to imagine none of them were objectively shit. That's right. (laughs) Like some of the teams in the other conferences were. Uh, Yeah. I mean, NFC East was great last year. They're going to be even better this year. I wouldn't be surprised if if they repeat once again just because... It's an absolutely insane division. But keeping it with the NFC West, uh, we're going to start with notable free agency additions. Again, if you want the full rundown for what every team brought in, the roles they're going to play, the money they got paid, all the actual nitty-gritty details, you can go watch the individual team episodes. That's what they're for. Uh, We're throwing kind of a list on screen of just kind of notable additions, and EJ and I Normally, we are tasked with picking one apiece that we feel is going to be the biggest impact addition. Looking at the NFC West as a whole, there was really only one we could pick. Uh, like, I thought, okay, maybe I want to be different and say Draymond Jones or something like <laughs> that. But, like, let, let's be honest. It's Javon Hargrave. He is far and away the most impactful free agent that any team in this division brought in. And his landing spot has a lot to do with that. He goes to San Francisco. We've talked at length about Chris Kasurik and how much we respect 
what he's able to bring to the 49ers program in general, the development of young players, the rehabilitation of free agents that come in. Like Hargrave doesn't need to be rehabilitated. He was very effective in his last role. We believe he's going to continue to be very effective dropping into a good situation in San Francisco. If I was going to be dark horsey, if I was going to grab one that people, you know, a name that people might not be looking at as much, for me, it's probably Julian Love, still Hargrave, easily in terms of the most impact. But in terms of like bang for the buck, in terms of not being talked about, I really think Julian Love's going to bring a lot to the Seahawks secondary coming over from the Giants. We'll see. They've struggled with some safety health issues in Seattle, so the chance that he ends up with playing time is better than average, and I think if he gets it, people are going to understand why they went out and prioritized getting him, but that still doesn't push him past Hargrave in the rankings for me. Hargrave specifically, I think he doesn't get enough credit for how versatile he is as a pass rusher. Um, When it comes to interior rushers, there's guys that you know, win with quickness and fluidity or hand usage or win with power individually. He wins with all of them. Like he's one of the more complete interior pass rushers in the NFL. And I think that's why they went after him is they just for once wanted somebody that was just ready to go that they didn't have to coach up uh, and, you know, turn from a a cast off into a, a productive player like they just wanted to set it and forget it, I think, for a little while. Plug and play. Uh, <laughs> plug and play. That's probably the best way to put it. Um, and he is plug and play. And he's somebody that you could put right next to Bosa as a three technique and basically force people to slide to them because you're not leaving Bosa one-on-one all day if you can help it. You're not leaving Hargrave one-on-one all day if you can help it. The center's going to go that direction every single, every single snap, which... It sounds like you're sacrificing those two, but you're really not because what it does is it dictates to the offense, dictates what kind of protections you can run. If you know the center is going one way on every single play, that means you know where you can bring pressure from. And this was a team that didn't shy away from blitzing. They were kind of average at it, but most of the time when they blitzed last year was in an effort to give Bosa one-on-ones. Now, putting Hargrave and Bosa together when you know what the protection's going to be because they'd be stupid to call it any other way, I think we're going to see their their slot blitzes become more effective. You know, I think when they're running twists with Fred and all them, like that's going to be more effective just because you know where the, where the slide's going. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if the team sacks go up, even if Hargrave's individual sacks go down. And, I, I, you know, a lot of fans might be like, oh, is he worth the money then? It's like he is because the team as a whole will be even better at pass rushing than they were before just because they can dictate those protections. You have to pay attention to him. And there will be teams that try not to. There will be teams that say, ah, is he really that good? And they'll try it a couple of times. You talked about his hand usage. One of my favorite things about Hargrave is, I swear to God, he's got hatchets for hands. Yeah. He is violent with his hand usage. Always has been. Came to the league that way, and it's only gotten better. And you mentioned this team has not shied away from stunts either. They had a decent stunt percentage. They have a lot of weapons to bring that. They can bring pressure from all over, or they can just bring a stunt with four. And when those two are on a twist, good luck. Like, I don't envy the offensive line's job trying to stop just that half of the San Francisco defensive line. The thing with Hargrave is you mentioned the hatchet for hand. He has a great understanding of nerves 
And and uh, I'll take a second to explain that because yeah, I think it's a lost I, art. I know what you mean. And if you're like a self-defense instructor or you're in martial arts, you know exactly where I'm going with this. There's a nerve that runs like right here. And if you hit it just right, the hand releases. Like it's you physically, Doink. It's, it's a reflex. Like you it's cannot stop yourself. And when he hits like a swipe move or a club or anything like that, He's aiming for that spot, and he's he's got a really good. And I I was talking to a former defensive lineman, and then when they would do tape the wrist, they would kind of leave a little nugget of like balled up tape right there too, and just act like a mm-hmm. like a pickaxe, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's really good at just hitting that spot because even if their hands are on you, if you hit it, the grip is gone. And he's so good at it. It's it's a very 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 minute detail. But he's very good at it. But it works. He's worth the 20 plus million just for that. <laughs> uh, getting to notable rookies. Um, speaking of pass rushers and defensive linemen, we each were tasked with picking our uh, most notable impact rookie, somebody who's going to come in and, and you know be a big mover and shaker right away. Both of us picked Seahawks. I, I thought about going Steve Avila just because I think he's going to be a plug and play starter for them. But I couldn't ignore what I think Derek Hall is going to give to that Seahawks pass rush, which also not super blitz heavy, also really wants to win with four up there. You have to be able to win with four to run the style of defense they want to run. Again, go to the Seahawks episode, get more context on that. And that's why they brought in Derek Hall is because they still, even after all the investment they've made, Bringing in you know Nuosu, you know bringing in Boye Mafe, they still felt like they needed one more. Derek Hall is the one more, and to be honest, I think he's even better than Mafe was when Mafe was coming out. I think even as a rotational piece for them, he could flirt with like seven or eight sacks, which would be awesome for a rotational rookie. Great player, love Derek Hall, love his success in multiple ways. You talk about Javon Hargrave winning multiple ways. Hall can win multiple ways and did in the SEC. One with power, one with speed. Not the bendiest guy, but has some bend as well. Has some it's ankle flexion to get yeah. around the edge. Very, very good pick for them. I like the fit. I like the fact that he is kind of a force multiplier, right? One more means everybody's more effective because you don't have that drop off when you rotate guys, which you have to do on the defensive line. And my vote is similar, but it's on the other side of the ball. It's Jackson Smith and Jigba, and it's you bring in a third receiver who is, we've said plug and play already in this episode, somebody who's going to contribute immediately and be a threat on multiple concepts that the Seahawks like to run and wanted to run more in previous years. They've been looking for this role to fill it effectively. They haven't been able to do it despite spending draft picks on it. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba does that and then some. So it just multiplies the effectiveness of DK and Lockett on either side because now who are you going to cover? They're all extremely capable in their own right. And before you could kind of shade and say, well, if we need the nickel to go to one side or the other, that's okay because really whoever they have in the number three spot's not going to hurt us that much. That ends with Jackson Smith and Jigwood going to Seattle. So He's my pick for the most notable rookie. If I had to pick a dark horse, you said Steve Avila for the Rams. I would pick Puka Nakua. And the one caveat is if he stays healthy. Mm-hmm. If he stays healthy, he could have a very similar role to Jackson Smith and Jigba in L.A. Oh, 100%. I, I, Puka, 
I'm going to compare both of them to Robert Woods, right? And Shane Waldron, who's the offensive coordinator in, in Seattle. Where did he come from? The Rams. He was the pass game coordinator. Ties it all together. They used everything about Robert Woods. They used his running ability, his mm-hmm. blocking ability, his receiving ability. He was the do-it-all receiver. His jet sweep ability. He was ever like he got carries in the red zone off jet sweeps because at one point that was one of their most efficient red zone <laughs> plays, right? Um, and Puka is the first young guy they found that I think could do that for them since Bobby Trees left. Um, and I, I think that he is in line for that role in L.A., just like I think JSN's in line for that role in Seattle, because, again, Waldron has been trying to find that. And JSN can do all the jet sweep stuff. Like, I think he is tough enough to be a physical blocker on the inside like Robert was. You can give him screens. Uh, he's got vice grips for hands if you want him to, you know, go rip the seam wide open and take a hit from a post safety that's come to kill him. Like, all the stuff that Woods did just to hold the system together. Yeah. That's JSN and that's Puka. So you kind of can't go wrong with either one of them, but obviously JSN's just the better player, you know, the better version of it. So I I, I understand going with him, but I'm right with you that that I'm a Puka truther as well. Yeah, I think pay attention awesome. to Puka. If he stays healthy, if he stays on the field, he will surprise so many people because the only reason he fell in the pre-draft process was that he couldn't stay healthy. Couldn't stay healthy at Washington. Couldn't stay healthy at BYU. Couldn't even stay healthy at the Senior Bowl. Like, that's always been the Achilles heel. But when he is healthy and on the field, oh, my God, he's so much fun to watch. Uh, division predictions now. This is the meat of the episode that people always fast forward to. <laughs> division MVP. This one was uh, was interesting for me because I, I typically kind of default to quarterbacks just because mm-hmm. quarterbacks, by definition, are valuable, right? They're the most sure. valuable player on the field. And Geno Smith as odd as this may sound, might be the best quarterback in the division. It would be Stafford if we could trust Stafford to stay healthy, to stay healthy and be on the field. But in the absence of that, and even then, just looking at how Geno played last year, he played like a top 10 quarterback last year. So it's tough for me to pick anybody other than Geno Smith for division MVP. But if it wasn't going to be a quarterback, I think your selection of Nick Bosa is perfectly appropriate. Bosa, again, He's been pretty healthy. When he's gone, you can tell the difference. There is an ability for an opposing offensive line to shade to another side and kind of take a breath and relax. When Bosa's there, that's not an option. You have to account for him. He's one of those players that if you don't put a guy, a guy and a half on him every snap, sometimes straight up two guys, like just make sure he doesn't wreck what we're doing. And even then, he'll still wreck what you're doing. He's that talented a player. When he's on the field, he makes a tremendous difference, a tremendous impact for that very talented defense. Again, he's not the only star that they have by any stretch. But still, when he's on the field, even with all those other stars, Fred Warner and all the great secondary players they've had, you're still looking at Bosa going, oh, my God, did he just do that? And he does it over and over and over again. He's more talented, I think, than his older brother who plays down in here, the city, Los Angeles. Um, It's crazy how good he is, and you notice it in his absence. It's much like T.J. Watt. I think he's a very similar player to T.J. Watt. Incredibly effective. If he's injured or out of the lineup, you go, oh, it's not the same thing, despite talent at the other levels of the defense. So 
hoping he stays healthy because it's just more fun as a football fan to get to see that guy play because he is he's teach tape a lot of the time of course can't really show that to your players and go do what he does. Yeah, I know. It's almost very unrealistic expectations. Um, but when he is at the height of his powers, he really changes that defense overall um, and is one of the best defensive players in the league. Shifting to Offensive Player of the Year, another 49er. You and I were actually in consensus on this one. I thought about a wild DK pick. Sure. Uh, I, I thought about Cooper Cup. I, I thought about... A bunch of different options from around the division. But when we were going through uh, the 49ers episode last night and we were just looking at the impact that Christian McCaffrey had on their run game, they were a bottom quartile run game by EPA before the Christian McCaffrey trade. It was not a typical Kyle Shanahan offense. They were extremely inefficient on the ground for a variety of reasons. And then Christian McCaffrey came and almost overnight resurrected that run game and oh by the way he's a great receiver too he is possibly the most impactful overall running back in the nfl and uh i just i couldn't i couldn't forget that when choosing offense player of the year and again i love cooper cup i love dk but that team doesn't make the nfc championship without christian mccaffrey and if he stays healthy again caveat he's probably going to repeat that performance this year. Feels like we're building up San Francisco to be the ultimate glass cannon. Right? They are a glass cannon. They've <laughs> always been a glass cannon. Like just <laughs> If Bosa stays healthy and McCaffrey stays healthy and they figure out the quarterback spot, they could be totally impactful. Even in the Jimmy G years, it was like if, if Jimmy G was healthy, they would make the conference championship or go to the Super Bowl. And when he wasn't, they would flounder. Like They have always been a glass cannon franchise in the last eight years and it's literally every other year the odd years are healthy the even years are not but when McCaffrey is there and what we saw from him when he transitioned to San Francisco last year was a completely rejuvenated player who brought all of the fire and verve and absolute sort of 100% commitment that he had when he came into the league that I honestly, I think he's always had, but he struggled with injuries and it just, he's one of the guys that takes the best care of his body. Strangely enough, with all the injuries he's had, but he is relentless about fitness and nutrition and everything else. And he just showed up and ran like he was running in college again. You saw the high knees, you saw the energy you just saw. Um, there's been a thing going around Twitter for the last week. Show me a player that plays like the rent is due. <laughs> like when he got to San Francisco, he played like the rent was due all of a sudden again. And, so versatile, which really fits with their entire offense. Everybody they have is versatile. Juszczyk is versatile. Kittle's versatile. Debo's versatile. Christian's versatile. Ayuk's even versatile if we want to talk about that jet sweep game. Like so many players they have can do multiple things and it gives them so much flexibility. But when, again, he's at the height of his powers, it says a lot about the division that we can consider Cup, we can consider DK or Gino or, or Debo, know, lots yeah. of other players, but. When that guy is functioning, CMC, he is a he is a franchise changer, mm -hmm. and so we'll go with that. Uh, defensive Player of the Year, I pick Nick Bosa. We won't repeat everything we already said about him. Arguably the best overall defensive player in the NFL. Um, I noticed you went back to the Aaron Donald well. I is did. this one of those uh, I refuse to pick against him until he retires type things? No, this is very different because now I spend a bunch of time in Los Angeles. 
<laughs> and I might actually see him. Just in case you run into him. <laughs> and I don't want him to kick the shit out of me because he's like, you went the entire NFC West division and you didn't mention my name? Really, son? Really? I'm like, no, no, Aaron, I, I literally picked you for defensive player of the year. He trains with knives, EJ. Yeah. <laughs> like, look, we're talking about not just a generational player, but an all-time NFL talent. Automatic first ballot Hall of Famer. Often considered in the top defensive players, top five defensive players of all time. Like, this is not a guy you can forget about. Yes, his franchise fell on hard times last year. They look to rebound this year. If Aaron Donald is committed and on the field, which he always has been, there's no reason to consider that he won't be. He cannot possibly not make this list in some capacity. I don't care if the Rams go three and 14. Like, Aaron Donald is still going to kick ass week in and week out. That's why he makes my list. I'm going to put you on the spot. Sure. Um, now, I only recently got to watch Prime Warren Sapp All-22. <laughs> but I, I never got to see John Randall in his prime. Mm. So, let's rank them. Warren Sapp, John Randall, Aaron Donald. How are you going? Ooh, it's a really good question. I think Randall is a more like player to Aaron Donald, just in terms of play style, physical makeup for sure. Um, more speed-based than a smaller player who is, again, very effective, incredibly violent, incredibly sudden. Um, Donald still comes out at the top for me because he can do anything, anywhere, and you see that when they rotate him out to five. You're like, oh, well, he's really, you know, ideally a three. They rotate him out to five, and he kicks the tackle's ass one-on-one and, you know, blows through the running back. You just can't stop him from anywhere. He's at that level. Um, I'll go with Prime Warren Sapp in second and Randall in third, but they're really sort of 2A and 2B. It's tough. They're they're two different styles, but um, I got to see Prime Warren Sapp play in person. Actually, the only game I've ever been to at Soldier Field. Really? Yeah, it was the final game of Soldier Field before they closed it for the renovations, before they went to Champaign for two years and did the mm-hmm. spaceship landing yeah. on Soldier Field thing. Yeah. Um, and it was the final game, and uh, it was Bears-Bucks because it was NFC Central, not uh-huh. NFC North. So it was a division game. Um, and he was he was a monster. He was a bear. Like, he could literally maul people. Plus, he had speed, but he was completely square. The thing that people don't realize about like prime playing time Warren Sapp is he was built like a square. Oh, it's a brick shit house with legs. Yeah. It's insane. And incredibly quick, we talked about Javon Hargrave and his hand use. Like prime Warren Sapp hand use is like wild and violent. He just threshes through people. I mean, he looks like a rototiller on the defensive line. Might so. be the pound for pound strongest interior defensive lineman I have ever seen. Like I, my jaw was on the ground. Going through all that old all twenty two from like oh three oh two all that general era, I just I couldn't believe how easily he moved three hundred pound men. Yeah, people ask me all the time, like because uh, obviously Warren's uh, trajectory after leaving the league is is a little bit different, and his life's gone on. So younger fans who didn't see him play live or only seen snippets of him on tape or whatever, or have seen all of his antics after leaving the NFL. I used to work with the guy. Yeah, like, exactly. I, I was around him every Sunday for right. years. And people are like, why did people put up with Warren Sapp? And I'm like, oh, that's why. 
Come here, child. <laughs> yeah, it was Sit insane. and watch. And they're like, holy shit. It looks like a grenade going off every snap. And you're like, that's why. Yeah. You know, and it reminds me, he reminded me um, of a Parcells player, like post Parcells, right? Of a incredibly impactful football player that was a complete handful off the football field. The Parcells would be like, yeah, but have you seen what he does on Sundays? I'll keep him in line. We need to keep him in the lineup. He's one of the classic examples of where I think NFL films doesn't do him justice because it's all slow-mo and, you know, John Facenda's <laughs> doing the narration. But, like, when you see the the real speed that he played with, that's when you're like, oh, God. Like, that's Yeah, a guy had that body type that had that kind of twitch, and then you added the other element, the power, the straight-up, like, I'm just going to take on guards and centers who in those days were generally larger – and toss them, just flat out toss grown men aside who were trying very hard to keep you from doing that with regularity. Like Prime Warren Zap was was primetime viewing if you like defensive line football. And so with everything positive we've said about Warren Zap, we still put Aaron Donald I do. <laughs> as higher than him. Yeah. That's how ridiculous Aaron Donald is. Uh all right. Offensive rookie of the year. Tangent over. We both couldn't pick anybody other than JSN. Uh again. Shout out Puka Nakua. Wouldn't be surprised if he's also very productive, if he stays healthy throughout his career. But I, JSN's really the only option here. Like Zach Charbonnet is going to be the other running back in Seattle. Good. He's not going to be the featured running back. Steve Avila, in my opinion, will be a huge impact player with L.A. But realistically speaking, is he going to be more impactful than JSN? Probably not. And with offensive linemen, it's always hard. They don't tend to win these kind of awards. We pick them anyways. We know they won't win. The whole point about being a really good offensive lineman is that people don't know that you were there. That's the thing. Is like There's going to be a lot of people that watch Ram games that never hear Steve Avila's name because he doesn't get beat, which, again, super valuable. But JSN's going to be the one on SportsCenter Top 10. That's you know? right. Doesn't make for award-winning performances, even though it is a huge impact, and, and we hope that we bring the importance of that to you as viewers. But in terms of players who are offensive rookies in this division who have a very clear path to starting and a fairly large production share as rookies, like nobody's topping JSN in that category. As a small side note, if Kyler was healthy, would Michael Wilson threaten not even close not even close it's not that, even that close much of a difference for you the combination of Gino to JSN and again the need in that offense for that role they have been yearning for this and they got the very best one in a long time I would say three to four years easily he is the best at that role coming out it's again a perfect lock and key fit and Kyler has a brings a lot of dynamism to the game as a quarterback, as a pure passer to a rookie receiver, any rookie receiver, I'm not giving him the same sort of weight as I am with, you know, what we're seeing, which I really call prime Geno. I feel like this is prime Geno Smith. It's weird to see somebody enter their prime when they're 33, but he did. But in terms of efficiency and accuracy and the way that he helped move that offense and keep it rolling, I, I wouldn't put Kyler and anybody above that right now. Defensive Rookie of the Year for the NFC West. Again, we could pick from any of the defensive rookies that were drafted. 
you know, Kobe Turner was in consideration, B.J. Ojolari, Keetrell Clark, you and I are big fans of. Huge shout out to Keetrell. Oh, he's going to have great. a great and impactful year for Arizona, which is probably going to get smoked just about every week. Watch Keetrell Clark. I'm telling you, at the end of the year, you're going to be like, man, that that guy could play. Arizona had a great draft. And again, if you watch the Cardinals episode, you would know that. We praised their drafts as much as we possibly could. It was one of the only things we could praise about them, but they did a good job. Um, Jair Brown, also in consideration. I don't know how many snaps he's going to get just because of the defense he's on, but he's a really good player. But ultimately, we both picked rookie Seahawks that we loved in this draft class. I went with Derek Hall for all the reasons we talked about earlier. Very versatile rusher. Um, great natural leverage because he's not too tall, but he does have the length of somebody who's like 6'6", 34-plus inch arms. Uh, great burst. Enough bend. Plenty of power. You know, wide variety of moves. He's he's ready to go. You know, he's ready to go. He's got like that Justin Houston type build. I'm not saying he's Justin Houston, but he's built like Justin Houston. Uh, I went with Derek Hall just because I think he's going to be very impactful uh, rookie rusher. You went with Devin Witherspoon, who I think wire to wire was your CB1 in this class, right? Correct. Looking at the role that Devin's going to play there, again, you can go back to the Seahawks episode to get more detail on how they're their defense is structured. They put a lot of quarter, quarter, half, or really half, quarter, quarter. But they struggled when it came to um, defenses just avoiding Tariq Woolen <laughs> and just attacking the other side of the field. They really needed another outside corner in order to make this defense work because Tariq can only be on one side, right? Uh, and Kobe was a nickel. So getting Devin there... I think was a a signal, if anything, that they're just going to lean even more into that style of defense because now they have the dudes to do it. This is the Leonardo DiCaprio gif from Wolf of Wall Street. I'm not leaving, <laughs> right? I'm we're, not calling anything other than quarter, quarter, half. Right. We're not going anywhere. We're going to do the same damn thing. We just got what we needed to do it. So be afraid, be very afraid. And I think... This season will look a lot like last season to about the midpoint of the season. Last season, people like, yeah, Tariq Woolen's really tall. He's really fast. But is he really that good? Oh, yes. And they tried him for six to eight weeks. Offensive coordinators came in and they tried him. They're like, not that good. They figured out pretty quickly, yep, he's that good and he's getting better fast. And if we throw his way, we are not going to profit. We should throw the other way. And that's where folks started profiting on the Seahawks later in the season was like, all right, all right, all right. We're not going to his side. Cool. We'll go over here because we'll take the path of least resistance, which, you know, credit on offensive coordinators coming in. Smart play. Stay awake from Tariq Woolen. This year, they're going to come in with that knowledge and all the tape from last year and go, well, we're probably not going to be trying Tariq's side a lot. We're not predicting a sophomore slump for him. We're going to try this other guy. We're going to go to Devin's side. So he's going to get a lot of balls thrown at him for the first half of the year. Guaranteed. They're not going to throw at Woolen very often. So they're going to be like, let's try this Witherspoon guy. And it's going to look just like Tariq last year. First half of the year, they're going to throw at him a lot. And then they're going to realize, ah, damn, he's really good. We shouldn't throw at him. And they're going to try and figure out something else because the corners. <laughs> then they're going to throw at Kobe and be like, ah, he's really good. Yeah. They're going to throw at Tariq and be like, shit, we got picked off again. Yeah. 
And then they have nobody to throw to, and they get sacked by Derek Hall. So in the end, EJ, I still win. It's it's all working out, <laughs> but I really think that the profile is going to look very similar for Witherspoon this year as it did to Owen last year. They're going to try him. Like He's going to start. He's going to get a lot of chances to make plays on the ball. And guess what? He's going to do it. He's also going to be super active in the run game. He's going to blow up a bunch of screens. And then people about midseason are going to come to the realization, ah, oh, crap, they got two good ones. Mm, we're going to have to try the seam, I guess. Like, And then they go after the safeties, who are also very good. We talked about Julian Love. Um, you know, Quandre Diggs is still there. Like, There's not a lot of places to go against the Seahawks secondary. It's going to get – it's going to be tough sledding in the second half of the year. But I really think he's going to get chances. There are some rookie corners that um, – like Sauce Gardner, like they just never threw it Sauce. Mm-hmm. Like they just knew better. Devin's not going to have that thing. Like they have to throw somewhere and they're going to throw at the rookie corner and he's going to step up just like he did at Illinois and go, yeah, not my side. Try somewhere else. And they're going to look around and go, well, it's Tariq or it's, you know, Quandre Diggs or it's Julian Love and three safety packages or it's Jamal. If he's healthy, Bobby's in the middle. Like Jamal coming back early. Like do I haven't heard anything because they he had a really bad injury. Yeah, they hope. They hope. So they're they're hoping. But if he doesn't, you got Quandre Diggs and Julian Love, which I'm totally okay with as a safety duo. So they're going to find out pretty quickly that there's not a lot of places to go against the Seahawks secondary. And if anything, that early burst is just going to sort of grow the sort of Witherspoon mystique and put him in the running for defensive rookie of the year because he's going to make plays on the ball. I'm going to do best coach, or rather coach of the year in the division, and division winner at the same time because you and I were flip-flop on this one. It's true. Spoiler alert. The options were Pete Carroll, Kyle Shanahan, Niners or Seahawks in terms of coach of the year. In terms of mix and match. Division winner combo. I went with Kyle Shanahan, coach of the year, just because I feel like, I mean, he's winning 13 games with crazy carousels of quarterbacks and, you know, trying to put together a run game with scraps in the beginning of the year because of injuries. He's just a great coach and still went to the NFC Championship. And to be honest, if Brock Purdy didn't get hurt, might have gone to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl with a last overall pick at quarterback. He's I can't pick anybody other than him. But that being said, my division winner, I chose Seattle because I feel like for the first time in a while, their roster is as good as the 49ers and their quarterback situations better. I'm going to go with Seattle here. You were the exact opposite. Yeah, I went with Pete Carroll for coach of the year and division winner for San Francisco. Strangely enough, for all the reasons you said, uh, in terms of Kyle being a great coach, being able to take whatever he has and adapt it. And I know he gets a lot of guff uh, every time we talk about how much we like Shanahan's run game or how much we like him as a coach. We're like, yeah, but what has he won? And I'm like, mm, short of injuries last year, he might have won the Super Bowl. That was a very realistic prediction. It's as if going to the conference championship's bad. <laughs> I, yeah, I get it. And, you know, look, he's the ultimate Nepo baby, but he's earned it. Right. He has we even said in the Niners episode that we think he may have surpassed his dad's legacy, which was tremendous. He's a great coach. 
And therefore, I think his team will come out on top, even if it is neck and neck. And I think it will be, to be fair to all the Seahawks fans out there. I think the records are going to be very similar. It's basically going to go to San Francisco on a tiebreaker. They're going to regress a little bit. I don't think they're going to win 13 games. I think the Seahawks are going to win more games. That's going to put them very close to the same no man's land of you know, maybe 11 wins each. And I think the 49ers win it on basically the tiebreak. So division winner for me, San Francisco, but coach of the year, Pete Carroll, because the Seahawks are going to take another step. I feel like they had a second strong draft. They ended last year on a very strong role. They have addressed a lot of the areas where they were deficient last year, and there weren't that many of them. They've plugged the sort of few remaining holes. And if it starts clicking, which it kind of feels like is already in OTAs, they're going to come out of the gate hot. It's going to be completely different than last year when we went to the very first game they played and it was like, man, if they beat Denver, that's it. Their season's over. Cool. Mission accomplished. This year, they're going to come out with higher expectations, and I think they're still going to exceed them. Regardless of which one of them wins it, they're going to have to go through each other in January. I think they both make the playoffs. We just don't know what seed they're going to be, but they're going to have to go through each other. Probably in the wild card round. One of them's going to host the other one in the wild card round is, is my best guesstimate because one of them's going to be a fifth or a sixth seed the other's probably going to be a third or a fourth seed just based on the win projections that yep. we have around the league right um so yeah they're they're gonna to have to go through each other and i for one can't wait because uh divisional matchup playoff games are just a whole different level of spite and they're my favorite ones to watch every year we get at least one and they're always awesome yep um, all right, that wraps up the NFC West. If you agree or disagree with any of our picks today, please tell me uh, how stupid I am in the comments. Uh, it's always nice to hear <laughs> from, <laughs> from the folks who stop by to tell me how big of a moron I am. And to be honest, they're right most of the time, but still we love to hear from you. True story. Um, now, yeah. uh, they're still selling that Clayton shirt, right? Indeed they are. If we have inspired you to go be even better fans of whichever team you're a fan of uh, and you're all fired up. I don't know that we did that for the Cardinals, but any of the other three teams in the NFC West, go check out homage.com. They have great t-shirts and hoodies today. I wore my Clayton tribute shirt for John Clayton because he started out as a Seahawks beat reporter become, before becoming a national reporter for ESPN. Uh, when he passed on, Homage did this shirt uh, as a tribute to him. They still have it on the site. It's available. You can check it out at the link in the description. Anything you buy from homage.com all supports the podcast. We get a slice of it. Um, it's another way to support our sponsors. And honest to God, this stuff is the most comfortable. Like I've had this shirt for just over a year. I think I wore it in this episode last year. It's been through multiple washes since then. And it's still one of the ones that if it floats to the top of my football shirt drawer, I'm like, oh, I'm grabbing that It one. still feels great. It's a it's tremendous shirt. Yeah, I want to figure out who their suppliers are for our own stuff yeah. because their <laughs> stuff always feels really, really good. And yes, I'm very agreed. jealous of it. So uh, if if homage, if you're watching, please, please tell me who that is. Or, to, or please make shirts for us. Either way. I need to source that. Uh, all right. We'll be back next week with AFC West, an absolute bloodbath of a division. Uh, even the bad teams are probably going to be a lot better this year. And the good teams are only gooder, gooder more good. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be back on Monday, uh, starting with the Broncos and then the Raiders and then Chargers, then Chiefs. Talk about the Super Bowl champs. 
And then the week after that, I think we go south, right? That's correct. We NFC, go NFC south. south. All right. Almost halfway through this whole thing. Eh, ish. Five, six weeks to go. <laughs> Not going to think about it. A lot, lot more whiskey to go through. We'll see you guys on Monday. Later. Later.